Hello and welcome to the Advanced Screening. My name is Justin Corbett and as always I am joined by my regular co-host Tom Kelly. How are you Tom? I'm very well. Welcome to Kevin Costner's Draft Day. We've got a big draft ahead of us, but before we get to it, um, watch anything interesting this week? Um, I watched, well, obviously The Last of Us, the newest episode. I watched the first two episodes of Hello Tomorrow with Billy Crudup, America's Sweetheart. Um, (laughs) uh, I watched a little bit of Below Deck because it's on in the background. Newest episode of Below Deck. Um, And then doing some research. Really? Really? really diversifying what you watched yeah a, cu- a couple other things but yeah that, that 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 that's the main point i um i went and saw ant-man and the wasp quantumania is it bad let me tell you that is a film that was made by people uh <laughs> they are some of the best actors of two generations standing in front of green walls and pretending to look at things but it's poor like I can't help but like like Paul Rudd in anything. Like you go all the way back to Clueless, he's charming. Like he's the he's yeah. just hanging out, having a great time. He's going to a party at his mom's. He's having he's having the best time. And uh, Jonathan Majors is the best actor of this generation by far. He's killing it, and he deserves something better than to be in these current Marvel movies. Hopefully, it gets better for him. That seems like the main consensus that Jonathan Majors is. You know, knocking it out, hitting six six six, but the rest of like what is going on? And Kevin Feige, are we going to write this ship or what's going on? Oh man, I'm, I, as a as a Feige apologist, I'm worried. But we're not here to talk about Ant Man. Um, I watched Last of Us as well. We're going to flip it this week and talk about Last of Us at the end because we are doing our first ever millennial movie draft. Uh, we are going to compete against each other to pick our favorites in a number of categories from action films in 1993 to 1996. What did you want to call this? Uh, the Millennial Movie Draft? No, nah, the Dude Dude Bros podcast. Oh, this, no. <laughs> so it's the, put it this way, it's the Millennial Movie Draft colon Dude Bros. Dude um, Bros. And so it's 1993 to 1996. We landed on that because we wanted to look at 90s action movies, but the decade is too big. There's there's too many things to play with, and it's only two of us. If there was more people in the room, it'd be a bit different. And so we looked at like 1990 to 93, and we're like, uh, not enough. Terminator two, and that's about it. Um, and then we looked at 93, 96. It's stacked, and then I think it also gives us a little bit to lean in towards later on where we do 93 96 now and then we can come back and do 97 and 2000 and talk matrix and neo yeah so this is going to hopefully be um one of our mainstays is we can do 93 to 96 action films in several categories we can do 93 to 96 comedy we can do 2000 to 2005 action we can draft a million things a million times um hopefully get some guests in to join us um some celebrities that we don't know yet and we'll call and they'll never call us back. Um, We'll see how we'll go. Maybe just some friends. So what we're going to do is a two-man draft where we have flipped a coin and I will be selecting my category first. And the categories we're drafting for action films from 93 to 96 will be the best action film, the best lead character, the best scene, the best quote, the best sidekick or villain, and the thing you want to keep from one of these films. So there are six categories. I can choose any category I want to go first, and then Tom picks his from that category, and then he picks the next one that we choose from. Uh, We've made ourselves a little rule that if you pick in any of these categories a specific movie, you can't choose anything else from that movie, correct? Yep. So... Hypothetically, if you were to pick as your best film, GoldenEye, you cannot pick anything else from that film in any other category. You can't pick James Bond, you can't pick the GoldenEye MacGuffin in Thing You Want to Keep, and so on and so forth. But it's still accessible for you, but in another category. So, for for example, you can own GoldenEye, but you can then pick, um, was it it 006? 
006, Alec Trevelyan. The great Sean Bean. There you go. Um, all right, you ready to go? Yep, all ready. Um, okay, I should have... Do I need the sound effect for our opening draft? Let's do it. Millennial movie draft. Dude bros. <laughs> all right, I am going to go with... I think I have to... The scene that I'm going to pick is T-Rex breaks free in Jurassic Park. Oh, good one. Good pick. So by your reaction, I assume you didn't have that, which is fine because I'm happy to get it. Uh, This is, I mean, we don't need to talk about it too much. It absolutely changed cinema. Um, The practical into visual effects and the transitions and what they were doing was just uh, next level. I wish that we were young enough to have seen this in the cinemas, but I've seen it at a rescreening since, and it's just insane. I watched it last night as like prep for this, and it was it keep it ages really, really well. And it's questions. The film itself does so many things, and talking about science and playing God, which is all sort of nineties topics about like cloning and stem cell research. Um, it's great. The T Rex. I don't know if it's my favorite scene from that like the raptors are right up there but for the sheer scale that they're accomplishing where and the sheer terror that's occurring in that scene where the the t-rex is flipped the car it's pressing down on the glass the kids are freaking out and i found myself sort of laughing and sort of smiling to myself where it's like this is a ride and spielberg is nailing it is the um kids screaming some of the best kid acting we've ever had in film she's great in it mind you i've got some kid acting coming up later <laughs> but okay but it has not aged well and it's bad but very good though and like the i, I i'm trying to look it up but i can't find it i should have done a little extra research but i think the t-rex you watch it last night Yep. It doesn't appear in the movie until 50 minutes in, 45. And it's in the cover of darkness. And then the whole idea is they're looking around. The park has gone off grid because Newman's like, fuck the bed. Newman. Um, so the park's gone dark. They're at night. And then the whole idea is the goat that they brought out during the day to feed the T-Rex and the kids, Tim or Timmy or whatever, is got the night vision goggles on. He looks out and the goat's gone. And it's almost what gone. happened to the goat? And then the goat's leg lands on the roof of the car. And because it's glass, you can see it. And sheer horror on the kids. And then uh, Malcolm and then uh, Doc, I can't remember um, Sam Neill's character. Oh, Alec um, Grant. Yeah. So Grant and and Hammond. Is it? No, Hammond is. Oh, oh fuck it. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> watched go it that. last night. Jeff Goldblum is just Jeff Goldblum in every film. And Ian Malcolm. They're just like freaking out. Like, oh, fuck, what do we do? And then Sam Neill, what a hero, gets out with the flair. What a guy. Love Sam Neill. Um, it's it's so good. It was And it's been compared like Steven Spielberg just 20 years later, um, 10 years later, remaking Jaws. You just wait 50 minutes, an hour for a dinosaur to appear. And when it does... The sound, the music goes completely out of that scene and shit just hits the fan. So I am picking Jurassic Park T-Rex as my number one action scene from 93 to 96. So you have to pick in that category now because it's just me and you. So what's your scene? ID4, baby. Let's go. Independence Day. So <laughs> Yeah, I didn't think you'd pick this. Uh, well, I've, I'm, I've got other things up my sleeve. I've got okay. the Chrysler Building, I've got the White House, and I've got the Empire, Stru- uh, um, Empire States Building all going up in a big blue explosion thanks to those trusty aliens coming down. That is um, possibly one of the best use of miniatures ever in film apart from Blade Runner, I reckon. Just rebuilding those things and just sending them is phenomenal. I saw this at the cinema as a six-year-old. And let's let's think about that for a second. Yeah, unpack that because I don't know if I saw it at the cinema, but I remember the aliens 
scaring the shit out of me when I was a kid. So I was so keen as a child to go see this. Mum was almost like, no, 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 you're way too young for that. And then one Saturday afternoon, Dad's like, do you want to go see it? And we all went as a family and I was terrified of these aliens and like what these aliens were doing and blowing up like the White House and stuff. But the scale that they're playing at in that scene is astonishing. They're, they're evacuating the White House and they're out of like the, the airport, but the alien ship is still obliterating everything around it. Like in the sense of like not physically obliterating yet, but it just takes up the entire frame. This, that you don't see sky. And so that sort of scale that they're playing at on a huge screen, there's there's not many movies in the 90s that are pulling off that sense of scale that we're probably a little bit more accustomed to now. That was um, it kind of, that was Roland Emmerich, uh, the director of Independence Day, kind of set in movies and then himself on a path for the next 20 years of like, if we're going to do alien or disaster movies they have to be like just blowing everything up it needs to be on just the biggest scale possible and then you see like when the actual explosion happens and this crowd of people because they're all sort of drawn to it almost like moths to the flame and there's this this curiosity where you know something's gonna bad is happening it's so eerie the colors the sound design that's happening in it with the, the, the alien ship and then the total utter obliteration is such on a, an enormous scale. It looks like an atomic bomb. What happens to these buildings? It's it's terrifying in that cinema sense, but it's also awe-inspiring what they're actually doing from an action film sequence as well. It's enormous. It's cool. It's, it's cool. Yeah, it's, like the... it's just cool, but also yeah. like... Independence Day probably hasn't dated the best. It probably doesn't hold in the zeitgeist like maybe some other movies we'll talk about. Like Jurassic Park, for example. Like the, Jurassic Park had their three films that they did with what Chris Pratt and the first one was pretty good and the other two were not so much. But yeah. it had that first one was pretty good and then Independence Day came back with what, a Hemsworth and sort of nobody really cared. That's actually that's actually a really interesting point that Jurassic Park kind of was this phenomenon that immediately had a second and then a little while later had a third and then had a reboot and another three, whereas Independence Day had the one movie and then nothing for 20 years and then they made that resurgence film that was garbage. But you'd think like, like why wouldn't they have done that so, so long ago? Popular film, huge blockbuster. Yeah. Mind you, can I just note the... They actually go, jump to the end of the movie when they have like the Air Force Armada taking on the alien spaceship and Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith have blown up what the alien mothership <laughs> and it's because I, I watched it on YouTube and it's the US president as the lead F-18 in the sky and it's almost oh. like Eagle 1, Fox 2, go! <laughs> and it's so like cringy but it's also like so great in a gooey way. It's almost like what you're watching is bad and a bit cringe, but you can't help but enjoy what's going on and buy into it as well. Um, yeah, brilliant pick. So our two scenes are T-Rex escapes and everything blows up in Independence Day and we flip it each time. So your turn. I think it, just to go back, I think it's interesting that we've both picked something with huge special effects for that time and we haven't picked like a gun battle or, or something like that. I think... It's kind of, and this is kind of the millennial movie podcast thing, is that they're, they're probably the movies that awed us and scared us and really blew our minds when we were younger, so we returned to a lot when we were younger. I think the kind of gunfights and stuff would have been more like, ah, oh, that's cool, but it's people shooting guns. So it's interesting. It's good. It kind of speaks to, kind of speaks to like exactly what we're doing. Yeah, I think so too. So it's, it's my go. Your go, any category you want. Let's knock it out right now. Let's go best film. Be cool. Because the action is the juice. The 1995 <laughs> Michael Mann LA crime saga, which is heat, is my pick for best film. I know that's like knowing me, knowing you, Justin, that is utterly predictable on my behalf. Heat is my favorite film by far. Robert De Niro um, Al Pacino as Vincent Hanna. Give me all you got. Um, I love it. It's um, we should do an entire pod on it at some time. It's 
Val Kilmer is phenomenal in it. 1995 crime saga. So Al Pacino is Vincent Hanna, an LA police detective from Homicide or Special Unit. I can't remember. And then uh, Robert De Niro is, I can't remember his first name. I can't believe I've forgotten that. But the whole idea, he's a bank robber. Um, and then... Easily, it, easily your favourite movie ever. And then you've got um, Val Kilmer, like peak Val Kilmer as De Niro's offsider. So many of that guy's in it. Wonderful filmmaking. So many great scenes. It's also one of the first, it's the first film at that time because they've been in films later on that Pacino and De Niro are in it together since The Godfather, but in The Godfather Part 2, they never shared a scene. They were on different timelines. So these two titans of American filmmaking both past their peak, squaring off, going going head to head. It's such a wonderful film. I will return to it regularly and we should do that too. Um, and it's got some of the best action sequences. And frankly, The Dark Knight doesn't happen without Heat and Michael Mann. I understand why you, I really thought you were going to pick um, the shootout the Bankai shootout as your as your scene, um, yeah. which for anyone who doesn't know, like you you would have even if you've never seen the film. Anecdotally, Bankai shootout is so famous. Um, the guys, the actors, Val Kilmer, Pacino, De Niro, are so well trained in that scene that uh, anecdotally they the the military show that scene to their trainees to teach them how to reload. Um, but you wanted to pick it for your film because um, for anyone else who doesn't know, Tom talks about this film at least once a week. So I should have gone in and snaked it off you now that I had the first pick. I thought I... <laughs> that you could and that would be really funny. Um, the podcast would have ended. Oh, no, no. I think I think that would have been great. I see game. I recognise that. Um, <laughs> it's just such a wonderful, complete work. Um, I can't speak about it enough. It means a lot to me, that film. It's <laughs> yeah, you're getting real emotional, Matt. You just, you, you, you just hung your head a little bit and stared off into the middle distance thinking about heat. It's got so many great lines like, LAPD Police Department, we just got made. P- Pacino is doing something else that I haven't seen from a lot of people on screen. And man has such a great sort of eye for that sort of genre and what's doing that Pacino moves across the screen, screen like a panther. He He's an animal in it. And it's just fantastic where De Niro is the opposite. He's cool. He's collected. He is going to walk out on his lover when the heat turns up around the corner sort of thing. Um, <laughs> you got to walk away. And then it's got like a sick soundtrack, like Moby is in it. Great soundtrack. Um, there's so many sort of that guys that I've already said, I love it. Go see it if you haven't seen it. It's three hours. It's the best. Worth it. All right. Um, I am going to need to pick a film now. And uh, again, if you know me, Tom knows me. My devoted parents who continuously listen to this podcast to get us our our viewership know me. I am going to pick 1995's GoldenEye. As my... What did you think I was going? I thought you were going somewhere else. Well, we can't. We're done with movies. What did you think? No, no. Oh. <laughs> I think you probably thought Mission Impossible. Yeah, yeah. I had Mission Impossible as my second pick, but I I wouldn't have the love I have for Mission Impossible if it wasn't for James Bond. Um, this is obviously the reboot, the modern era reboot of the James Bond franchise. Um, My parents let me sit down and watch the James Bond franchise when I was way too young. So uh, by the time this came out in 95, it probably wasn't, I was five years old and it probably wasn't even the first James Bond movie I'd watched. But the longest gap between James Bond films happens between the film before this, License to Kill and Goldeneye. That was 89, so six years difference. Um, they almost lost the rights to it. They wanted Pierce Brosnan a decade earlier, but Remington still didn't let him out of his contract. And then that finally got cancelled mm. and they picked him up. Um, oh, everything about this movie as a reboot is just so, so good from like just the opening scene where you see 
Bond running across a dam, jumping off a dam, watch lasering into a facility. You never see his face. And then the first time you meet your new James Bond, he's hanging upside down in a cubicle and his line is, pardon me, forgot to knock. Like, that's so good. That's such peak James Bond. I had, uh, after MI, no, after Independence Day, my next one, because I was keeping heat. Um, and I've got a couple other things. Uh, oh, i got some moves I can make here that I could work <laughs> out for you. Um, is that the cold open from Goldeneye is fantastic in Russia. It's so superb. That was, that was um, another one of my scenes that I had was the cold open. I was tossing up how to take um, Goldeneye. I had James Bond as my lead character. I had the cold open scene. It was going to go in there at some point. Um Alec Trevelyan, we talked about him at the top. 006, played by Sean Bean, is just such a good villain. Uh, friend turned foe. Um, Xenia on a top. Uh, big on tantric just, sex. Big on tantric sex as she murders people. I think that was the first time I saw sex or like an orgasm on screen. I think that sort of fucked me up. Dad, why is she screaming so much while her legs are wrapped around him and he's dying? Um, uh, don't what, worry, Justin, go to bed. Why did she get off on murdering him? It's almost like like a redback spider. It's almost like you sort of... Ooh, yeah, good comp. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, yeah. She's really fun in it, though. And that I really like the bit where... Is it, is it Monte Carlo? Where they just steal the Harrier jets? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just... They just knock out some people, put their helmets on, and walk off a plane with Harrier Jets. See you later. The, the <laughs> NATO's defenses are super great. Ah, oh, so good. And um, the director uh, went on uh, something Campbell, I think, went on and did uh, Casino Royale as well. So rebooted the Bond franchise again. So can I just ask a question just quick? Um, do you think Bond films are better when the main villain or the the idea of what the problem is is Russia or they related and not just rogue Russian, you know, Chechnyans, or it's actually the Russian government? Russians, always Russians. I mean, the way that things are going now, the next James Bond movie will be Russians as well. Well, it's almost like they, they had that pivot later on where it was like Hong Kong Chinese, Elliot Carver was like, Rupert Murdoch, and then they did the whole weird North Korean thing. It's like North Korea doesn't yeah. have cool tech, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I like Elliot Carver in Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, I'm going to control the news. That's like, a oh, fun movie. That's a, that's a big um, old Rupert Murdoch moustache twirling bad guy. Um, all right, so that's that's films. So my turn to pick. I am going to go. One-liner, and the, I'm going to give you the quote. Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run for 90 minutes. Average foot speed over uneven ground, barring injuries, four miles an hour. That gives us a radius of six miles. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, Warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. That is, of course, I know this. the Oscar, Oscar winning quote from Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. Oh, great pick. I haven't seen The Fugitive in years, and it sort of popped up. In this like is, all the research I did. This is um, this is a, a bit of a cheat for me because by using this long quote, I kind of get to just talk about Tommy Lee Jones as a side character as well and not pick him um, because this is like just a pretty standard but very well-made kind of sort of action thriller from the 90s that for some reason, they don't do this anymore, Tommy Lee Jones wins an Oscar for it. <laughs> and and it's got to be because of his quote and his reading of gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, ham house, outhouse, and doghouse. Tommy Lee's such a great actor, though. Like, I watched No Country for Old Men over the sort of Christmas holidays, oh. and he's so great in playing like that straight sort of aging, um, I suppose, sheriff sort of role. 
oh, just just a grumpy cop. You know what? Apparently hot when he was younger. Oh, I mean, he's, I don't know how old he is in the future, mid-50s, like, yeah. could still get it. Could still, still get happily, it. <laughs> could still happily get it. Um, and he was he was so good and so like commanding in that that they essentially just remade the movie with him playing the same role and Wesley Snipes as the fugitive in US Marshals. I've seen you both remember of that movie. I, I don't think I've seen either of those for fifteen years. But when you did that quote, I was straight back like, I know this. And it's the scene at night and he's like on a radio. Yeah, and he's yeah, he's at night. And he's and he's talking to like all the all the cops in the area because he just walked up and one of them was lying because he didn't want to admit that he freed Dr. Kimball, Harrison Ford's character. And then he's like, he finds the shackles and he's like, oh, real interesting for dead men to undo their own shackles, isn't it? And then they're like, oh yeah, he got away. Your your fugitive is Dr. Richard Kimball. I tell you Go what, Harrison Ford's having a real moment as well. I think did I talk about oh. this last week? You did, and this is this is why I was like, Fugitive has to get on my yeah, list somewhere. Yeah, like, I can't wait for the next one so we can talk about Air Force One. <laughs> Great it was so film. close. I, I think I immediately looked at Air Force One. I was like, ah, oh, shit, it's like one year out. Get off my plane. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Oscar winner in a mid-'90s action film. Can't do much better than that, but you can try. Clever girl. That's it. Uh, Straight that's to it. I, uh, again, I've got some moves. I might this not might not have been like the top, but I'm playing strategy here. I'm happy to put put that one out there. Where it's such a great callback in the film from Jurassic Park. So he's the Kenyan gamekeeper. I think his name's Muldoon. That's it. And so then the whole idea of what's happening there is earlier in the film that Sam Neill is talking about. Uh, raptors and what they can potentially do and how they hunt. They hunt in sort of packs and the whole idea is you look straight at one and then they don't track motion like T-Rexes where if you stand still, you're invisible. Where raptors, they know they're hyper-intelligent. And he's in this sort of Hawaiian, Costa Rican jungle because what it was, I think it was filmed in Hawaii but set in Costa Rica. Set in Costa Rica. And so he's, the park's down, yada, yada. You get the idea. And he's eye to eye with the raptors who we sort of trains, but they're too dangerous to train really. And he's got his rifle ready to go. And he's just eyeballing this raptor about five meters away. And then the other one comes from the side and he just looks and it's just like clever girl. And it's such a great line. It's such the delivery, but it, the, the, what, the reason why it works, it's the payback from earlier from like a week earlier when they're out in the desert sort of, digging up dino bones where the it's such a satisfying thing because you're seeing what was sort of heralded at the start and it's playing out right over in front of you and it's a satisfying thing because it's almost like geez these fucking raptors are sick and i'm so fucked <laughs> but i am i am fucked here but i am in awe of these creatures it's like he he i think um about 25 minutes earlier he says he kind of his character re-enters the movie with Grant and Malcolm and um, Sattler in the rest of them. When he comes out of nowhere, he's like, we should kill them all. So he literally thinks, fuck these things. I hate dinosaurs. I'm a gamekeeper getting paid well to be here. But then that kind of recognition that they beat him and he's going to die. But in that moment, he's like, clever girl. Like, yeah, he's, it's, he's proud of it. Like It's acknowledging th- that death is coming, but he... Ha- Game sees game. You know what I mean? Game, game recognizes game. Um, all right. Uh, I think I, I really wanted to do a couple of honorable mention quotes. You go for um, it. Before we move on. Um, I've just got heat. That's all one, I've got. This one um, is from The Rock. Uh, Nick Cage says to him, I'll do my best. And Sean Connery responds, Your best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> maybe, maybe not politically correct these days. That's but such a just, 90s thing to say. 
get in get in uh, famed Scottish. 60-year-old legend Sean Connery to say the line, winners go home and fuck the prom queen, is quite a quote. And the other one was, just because it's so stupid and so funny, uh, Dennis Hopper delivering the line in speed, pop quiz, hot shot, there's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great... I, it's, it's a... The one that I wanted to watch this week, but I never got round to doing this speed. All right. Well, it is your turn to pick a category. Best lead character. Yes. This will be interesting because you've taken heat. You've taken a Jurassic Park quote. So I don't know what you're going to do here. I don't know if you know this, but I really like this film a lot. And I've you're a big fan of the later films. And I'm a bit like, eh. Um, Ethan Hunt... In Brian De Palma's Mission Impossible, this Euro like espionage film, which is actually nothing like the later Mission Impossibles with like the the woo sort of like flipping over and, and rock climbing shit. Ethan Hunt's fucking great in it. Tom Cruise gets tired. That that does not happen in the <laughs> other film. He like in the later movies, he's like Superman. Like he's bouncing off stuff. He's I think there was the the one where he's running through like London and he drops like three stories and he just gets, keeps on running. That's a broken leg, man. And then in mission impossible, he is like searching the internet for 20 hours and he is tired and he's doing this whole blinking thing. Like Joe, 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 is one of the great, one of the great early, um, early nineties. I kind of want to talk about this in film, but just like when we went and searched for films, so many action movies had some kind of early internet yes. sheen to them, the nets and things like that. And Ethan Hunt sitting on a computer typing into like Yahoo Answers for 25 hours is just like nowhere near the current Mission Impossible these days. And he's flipping through Bible verses. <laughs> and the, and where was the Bible from? What The Drake Hotel Chicago? And he has like this... Because his whole team gets betrayed in this film. This is Ethan Hunt. They're dead. Wait, who's dead? My team. My team is dead! Jesus. <laughs> so he's he's so jittery through the whole movie, which he does he isn't really in like later movies. He's kinda like skittish and like off foot in and, and like beat. he's be, like be crazy he's like taken a tub of anxiety medication and then done a couple lines and he's like bouncing off the walls anxiety totally paranoid in this film where you look at tom cruise in later sort of roles he is sort of so clean so in control of his surrounds analytical and here he is you almost don't understand some of his motivations. He does some really great work in this film. And I really like this era of Tom Cruise because it's not that long after the firm. He's pretty recent off a few good men and he's really going for that acting chop sort of thing where he's a movie star. He's not just an action star. He's going for like, I am the, I am movies like he's now, I suppose, but in a different way. And yeah, so good Pete Cruise. that's driving that film is that acting chops where what he's doing there where there's a bit of Maverick going on where he's having that, that sort of thing with Voight where it's almost like, who made that coffee? It's like my wife did. It's like, that's why it's no good. Um, <laughs> I, that's not the exact quote. I've got it around somewhere. But you get the idea. But then he's bringing it up and dialing it all the way up to 11 with some of the scenes. He's got some really great sexual chemistry with Vanessa Redgrave, who was like twice his age. And it was like, yes. was like my dear boy. Max. That's a Redgrave. Max, sorry. Um, and then he's great in it. He's doing some really great action scenes in it as well. Of course, the like the Langley drop down, which yep. then becomes like a constant hallmark and of Mission Impossible. That's really my best scene, but like I wanted to keep Hunt. Um, and then he also plays the Senator as well. And it's yep. almost like, who is that? Is that like, how do they do that where... They're on like Meet the Press and he's playing like an American Democrat blue dog sort of senator who's sceptical of the intelligence apparatus. 
And it's almost like, does that senator exist? And how do they do that? Or is that senator actually a made up sort of thing and is just a folly of the IMF? That was a great, um, great use of prosthetics 20 years ago that we just can't seem to get back to anymore because you don't know that's Tom Cruise until he rips his mask off. I think that there's a, tw- there's a twang in the accent where you could sort of tell, I felt. Catch him. And then the film and Cruise has some really weird psychosexual chemistry where they're in that, that back house apartment, which is actually a soundstage in like Belarus or something. And like yep. prostitutes dead, and he's wearing a mask. And then there's start. There's obviously really weird chemistry going on with him and Claire. Everybody's also just wearing masks in it, so there's a sort of a sexual aspect to that as well. Um, and then I really like the train scene with uh, Bing Rames and oh, what's his name? Um, Let Leon me on the that. professional. Yeah, well, I'm going to talk about that later. <laughs> um, is it Robert? I can't remember his name now. Actually, yeah, I think that's it. Um, and he's sort of unpacking the plan of what's going to happen and he's almost like, it gets worse about like the Langley heist. Yeah. It's so playful. It's so fun, but he ramps it up to 11 and it's not just acting. It's not just action. It's proper acting crews, which I don't think we get anymore, unfortunately. I'm going to go with my lead character. I had Tom Cruise as Ethan Hunt on my list. It was not my top. Uh, I think my top is going to surprise you. And I don't know if you have seen this movie at any point in a long time, but I can't get the twist out of my head. And so, and I love, I love an underdog. So my lead character is Dr. David Grant played by Kurt Russell in the movie executive decision. Wow. I don't think I've seen executive decision for 20 years. That's a great This thing. is a horribly underrated, forgotten mid-90s action film. Uh, I, to explain it, I'm going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it, hit skip 30 seconds because I'm going to spoil what happens just to talk about how amazing he is. But that twist of having Steven Seagal as a, at the peak of his powers, Steven Seagal, as a lieutenant colonel, uh, opens the movie, badass kills a bunch of people, just misses getting the thing he needs and realizes it's on this plane, sets up the mission, leads the mission, docks their spy craft jet to the underside of a passenger plane, and then an accident happens and he dies at about, I think it's 48 minutes into the film I looked up. Steven Seagal is the main character of 48 minutes of a two-hour film And at 50 minutes, the only person left who can save the plane and stop a nuclear war is analyst David Grant, the the underdog analyst. And I mean, you kind of knew, I suppose back then they probably knew because Kurt Russell had already been a badass for a while. He was already in The Thing. He was already in Tombstone. He was in a, a bunch of movies as the hard action man. So you might have picked it, but Steven Seagal was like, the biggest thing of the moment around that for action. So you wouldn't have thought Halle the Berry main can... character for 48 minutes. Halle Berry plays the a flight stewardess who Kurt Russell has to team up with to help help him out because he's just a consultant. He's just an intelligence consultant who they brought to disarm the bomb and then he's the only one left. Um, yeah, the, I, I think I, I have a thing. I have a, I have a thing. I love it of like the action hero who shouldn't be an action hero. Awesome. David Grant from Executive Decision, lead character. The 90s also loved like a stealth bomber, didn't they? Oh, something, it was, 90s seemed to be super future forward. They they had stealth bombers. They had the intranet, whatever that was at the time. Like weird space travel stuff. On that precipice of like the millennia and that's going to happen. And it was like, when I saw... I just looked up executive decision then and you'll see that. And the first thing I think about is like broken arrow with the bomber there too. Oh, stealth bombers, broken arrow. I I don't think I'm going to pick broken arrow, but it's a really great. I wasn't going to pick it either. I wasn't going to pick it either, but oh, Christian Slater and John Travolta. All right. So we've done movie lead character scene and quote. So we are down to sidekick or villain. 
and then the thing you want to keep um, for villain, I am going to pick the Twister from Twister. I was thinking of also drafting the Twister from Twister, and I thought that was too dumb. I'm not actually. <laughs> I mean, you could. I had um, thought about can I draft a special effect as a character? Um, uh, did you draft anything from True Lies? Not yet. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick, I won't pick a villain. I'm going to pick Sidekick and I'm going to pick Val Kilmer as Doc Holiday in the movie Tombstone. Hands are in the air. Oh my God, you are taking so many left field turns here. You are like getting Tombstone. Deep, you are getting deep in the weeds of like your dad's VHS sort of living press gallery <laughs> of films. Like I haven't thought about Tombstone in so long, but mind you, great oh. era for Val Kilmer. This you are making some picks that I was not predicting. I uh, Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell just owned the early 90s and I don't think I realized because as a kid it was like The Rock, Speed, The Fugitive, Jurassic Park, Independence Day but I didn't grow up on uh what did I just draft I didn't grow up on Executive Decision or Tombstone or Heat or any of those movies these are dad movies they're, they're more dad movies and I mean your wife's due um, I'm 32. I might have a kid at some point. Like maybe we're almost we're almost dads. So I actually thought about you as a dad today, and I was almost like, I wonder how that would turn out. I don't know. Oh, good, good, good review. <laughs> I'd have to make some drastic life changes, but it'll happen at some point. Tell tell me more. Let's go, Tombstone. Uh Doc Holliday, um, Tombstone, the story of White Earp and the Old West. Um, there's a moment in this movie, I don't know who the director is, but you haven't seen it in so long, so you might not remember, where they play this like the most hardcore streets of LA action film that happens to be taking place in the Wild West. There's a scene where White Earp and his crew are on horses, there's four of them, and they're chasing 10 people on horses and they're shooting two-handers they're right in. And it's shot and edited like it's a car chase through the streets yeah, of LA, like like it's the movie Ronan or something. It's insane. And Val Kilmer playing uh, Doc Holliday, a former dentist turned gambling gunslinger who happens to have tuberculosis. Um, just perfect. He's smarmy. He's like a smart ass. He cracks jokes, um, but. Anytime someone crosses him, he kind of just stops. And he's that kind of character where he's so smarmy and smart-ass and charming that the second he's not, you're like, oh, shit, someone's going to die. And someone's going to die real quick and real bad. And he does it the whole time while, like, yellow and coughing up blood and dying. It's just, it's so good. So Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer in Tombstone. Yeah, it sounds like he's trying a lot of stuff there, right? Uh, there's this iconic scene in a bar where a bunch of bad guys come in and they all twirl their guns real fast like they do in Wild West movies to kind of intimidate him. Yeah. And then he has this tiny little silver cup that he had a shot of whiskey in and he pulls it out of his pocket and just twirls that around in front of them and everyone laughs yeah. and the bad guys are just like, fuck this guy, and they just leave. <laughs> so good. We're really in the West. He would just be shot for that. He'd be shot. You smart ass. Uh, all right, sidekick or villain? Um, I'm going back to Leon the Professional. I, I watched it this week. Fucking weird film. Very beautiful in how it captures New York. John Renard is really good in it. Natalie Portman is also really good in it as well. As like she's, I think she's like 13 or 14 in it. Um, some really troubling um, themes that are going on in the film <laughs> that I don't think it would be worth a rewatch. Um, yeah, I think I watched this a long time ago and was like, yeah, might not ever put that again. Yeah, like the, Luc Besson, the, the French filmmaker, is doing a lot with it. I'm building up to it if you... Um, give me a second. I, I know I know what your choice is, but build oh. up. Gary Oldman in that. Let me get the character's name. I had it. Did I not even write it down? I just I just wrote Gary Oldman in Lee on the Professional. <laughs> no, hold on. I'll get up you the keep, you keep talking about You keep talking about your pick and I'll get him up. Gary Oldman is doing Vincent Hanna shit before Al Pacino was doing it. 
he is great. There's this bit in the first half an hour where they're doing sort of like he's playing like a corrupt cop and he's just talking about Mozart and stuff before he comes through and bashes down the door and starts shooting people, just innocent people. And he's talking about like, can't you feel it? Like the, the I love this bit, just the calm before the storm. It's like, let's go play some Mozart. I love those big tunes. <laughs> he's murdered like his wife and one of his children. And he's just talking about it. It's almost like, you're not a Mozart guy? You don't like Beethoven. You don't know what you're missing. Overtures like that get my juices flowing. So powerful. He's doing this weird thing where you look at it from the, the context we do. It's almost like the Joker of Heath Ledger meets Vincent Hanna but he's like a cop. He's doing so many things with that role and he's so watchable in that. You can't, I just want him more on screen when he's in it. He's obviously an insidiously bad person and he's dialing it all the way up to 11. Like I'd love to just sit and watch like his YouTube like highlight reel from the film. From that movie. This, this is a bit where from that same scene I was describing, he eventually just kills the father. But then the whole idea is because the father tried to make a split for it and he shot and he sort of brushed, the bullet brushes his arm, doesn't even hit him, but it sort of makes a break in his suit. And he's just like unloads on this guy after he's dead, just bullet after bullet after bullet. And he's like, what are you doing? It's almost like, he ruined my suit. And it's almost like, <laughs> that's real Pete 90s as well, isn't it? That's like, oh no, my suit. How do you make a bad guy a bad guy? Just have him complain about a suit or eat an apple. That's like the two things. <laughs> he's so seductive in the role as well, in how he sort of approaches it. He's almost got this guttural sounds he makes at times where he sort of flings his head back and shoulders go back. And he's almost like, looks like he's about to do almost like carry, where he's like the head's going to spin around or the exorcist. <laughs> I don't know. But the body acting that he's doing, he's phenomenal in it as a bad guy. And I almost want to just go back and watch old Gary Oldman stuff now and just go through that back history. Yeah, I um, like I said, I haven't seen it. Can't remember. I haven't seen it ages and can't remember it. But if it's Gary Oldman as a bad guy, like it, every time Gary Oldman plays a bad guy, um, that just made me think of The Fifth Element, which doesn't fit into this. But that's him just being goddamn weird and going for it. Which yeah, is, um, Gary Oldman going all out weird. I'm all for it. Like the... It's a, the film is beautiful, but there is some real questionable shit going on in it where I'd, I'd say, Luke Besson, you got a bit to answer for, mate. Like, you're a bit fucked up. <laughs> All right, you've got one more category to pick from. You get to go first. This is the Object. thing you want to keep from a movie. It's, I'm going to go a vehicle. I think yeah. you know what vehicle I'm going to go with. Do you have an inkling? Mm, Batmobile? Was, oh, there was a Batman movie from this era. What is like the most '90s plane imaginable? Oh, you're going the um the Harrier jet from True Lies. Fucking yeah! How, how good are Harrier jets? They go up and they go down. They're like helicopters, <laughs> but they're planes. They're fucking sick. He's hanging out the cockpit, trying to hold on to his daughter, and you've got a terrorist on the wing. It's dated badly, but at the time, this fucking rocks, man. Um. And it also feels like you can. You, I feel like we could drive a Harrier jet. And then there's also been the whole thing about like <laughs> Pepsi, where's my jet thing that has come into our zeitgeist in like the last 12 months or so. Harrier jets, how fucking good are they? Want one. Give me one. And just, just flying it in like the middle of a city, just weaving in and out of buildings. Like It's, it's so maneuverable. And I think it's. What happened to Harry Jets? Why have they got out, out of style like the Concorde? Bring them back. Can we get like, fuck the submarines. Let's get Harrier Jets. Orcus, let's go. <laughs> what is what is he? I think um, Arnold Schwarzenegger says to the leader of the terrorist group, Crimson Jihad, when he's hanging on a rocket, he's like, you're fired. It's like... What is that? Why does that? Why does that make context at all? Neither of them are employees of anyone. Like you're not firing anyone. He's firing a missile. Like it's very literal. And that's James Cameron. I really wanted to put True Lies somewhere on my list, but I just couldn't. 
I couldn't justify it, but oh, what a movie. Earlier in the film where they're in the helicopter and I think they're, t- they're trying to get these vans that are on this bridge in like Florida, Florida Keys or something's going on. And Arnie and Tom Arnold, Tom Arnold was like, what a great sidekick from that time as well, where he's just comic relief <laughs> in that film. Comic actor playing off Schwarzenegger was just like, like studio execs on Coke are like, put him with the best stand-up on SNL. Let's go. Let's make this movie. <laughs> That was so good. Um, There's the bit where they're flying over the Florida Keys and they're in Arnold and, well, Tom Arnold and Arnold Schwarzenegger are in the helicopter. And apparently the the jihadists have got like nukes or something in their vans and they've got Harry jets out there flying, trying to attack these jets. And Arnie's on the radio and they're like, do you think shooting the the vans with the nuclear weapons is going to be a problem? And Arnold's like, nah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And then he goes to Tom Arnold. Like, <laughs> it's really like, I don't know. Maybe. Jokesies. Just, a, just does like a little shrug. Like, maybe. <laughs> I like playing that off um, Broken Arrow where John Travolta says multiple times, do not shoot at the nuclear warhead. How many times do I need to repeat it? My favourite in True Lies is um, Arnold Schwarzenegger legitimately thinking that his horse could jump about three blocks to get to another skyscraper when the guy does it on the motorbike. And he doesn't, he just like lines his horse up. He's like, yes, we're going to make this. The horse is like, fuck off. I'm not jumping this shit. I think James Cameron also saw his hubris and was going to make fun of it. (laughs) All right, last pick. Um... Okay, because you just said thing you want to keep. I want to keep the little shiny green ball from The Rock. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Let's yeah. If, I haven't seen if, it in ages. Again, you're taking left field turns. <laughs> you know the, the VX nerve gas yeah. green balls that are like fluoro green with bubbles in them? That like if one drops on the ground, it'll like incinerate the body and melt the body of anyone within like a 20-yard radius? Yep. I clearly didn't put too much thought into this, but I thought having one of those that's like a squishy, squishy stress ball or like a, 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 a like a bouncy ball. I could probably go buy one that looks like it now that I'm saying this out loud. <laughs> but, but just just having one that people are like, that looks, you walk past them like, that looks a lot like the VX nerve gas from the movie The Rock. <laughs> like, Maybe I'll just drop this over here and see what happens. I think only dads are, are, are pointing that out. I don't think anybody under 30 is like talking about The Rock. <laughs> Even though good film though. Every, everyone talks about The Rock. What are you talking about? I watched that about three weeks ago. It was amazing. <laughs> Where do you think I got the Sean Connery quote from? Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> what about the bus from Speed? It's something that neither of us drafted. I was literally just about to say the bus from Speed was my backup. But but the only reason is because it has to stay above 50 miles an hour the whole time and at the end of the movie it blows up. So I didn't want to take the bus from speed. Don't they have to refuel it at one point? Yeah, yeah, they get the refueling truck and um, that's when the, the weird old lady tries to step out and gets blown up in the doorway. Yeah. Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off is like, she went under the tire, she went under the tire. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other one was, um, uh, just, just for the, for the laughs was, um, Mel Gibson's $1 million ransom that he puts out in the movie wow. Ransom. I saw that movie where, so many times. That doesn't sound like a lot of money now, but I, I think I'm not, I don't know if I'm getting the figures exactly right where, um, for people who don't know, uh, Mel Gibson's super rich. His kid gets kidnapped and the kidnappers ask him for $500,000 to get the kid back. And rather than pay the $500,000, he goes on the news and offers the public a million dollars to find out who kidnapped the kid and bring him the information. What a badass move. He's essentially on the news with a million dollars in cash in front of him. A million dollars of cash is on the table? It's in front of him. He's holding like a wad up and he's like... And it starts on his face and then it zooms back. He's like, as he's like, I will not coat out your demands. I have a demand of my own. And it just shows the money. It's so good. Really, really peak Mel Gibson that we shouldn't talk about anymore. Oh, I, I think 
time and place. If I can talk about Luke Besson and Leon the Professional, I think we can talk about Mel Gibson. Pre, I don't know what the what the Passion of the Christ. Everything before then, fair game or no? Uh, yeah, yeah, fair game. Uh, Braveheart. I know. I think Braveheart just didn't make this this window. I think it's also sits as a real period piece where it sits a bit different from the others. All right, we are done with the draft. Do you have your picks in front of you? Do you want to read them out quickly yeah. before we wrap it up? So I went best film was Heat, 1995. Of course. My best lead character was Mission Impossible's Ethan Hunt. My best villain was just Gary Oldman being fucking weird in Leon <laughs> the Professional. Crazy Gary Oldman. So great. Um, my best action scene was Independence Day, where it's the explosion of the Chrysler Building, the White House, and the Empire, Stroke, uh, Empire State's Building. My Didn't quote expect that, but good. Is from Jurassic Park and Clever Girl. And then the object that I want to take home is the Harrier Jet from True Lies. My film was Goldeneye, my lead character from Out of the Blue, Dr. David Grant. Coming in hot from the bench, <laughs> executive decision. Uh, my scene was the T-Rex breaks free in Jurassic Park. My one-liner was Oscar winner Tommy Lee Jones talking about gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, handhouse, outhouse, and doghouse. So good. My sidekick, my sidekick was Doc Holiday by Val Kilmer. And the thing I want should have been the bus from Speed, but it blows up. So I'm going to take the little green toxic balls from The Rock. Not the knock list. Not, no, knock list was uh, the, on list the list. The list is in but... the open. <laughs> the knock list, which any kid born after the year 2000 thinks is the save button in Microsoft oh, Word. What about the, the green and red gum? Oh, that would have been great. Green and red but, gum. What's the one that Emilio Estevez does is like, don't stuff it up. Like, um, 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 hasta lasagna, don't get any on ya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick honorable mentions to films that didn't get a mention at all uh, Demolition Man is great In the Line of Fire is good Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford is good um, I would remiss if I didn't mention the film Stargate and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance and Twister there's a couple where I had, which was on the borderline of can we define these as action films? So it's something like Pulp Fiction and Apollo 13. It's like, are these action movies or are they drama pieces or things like that? So um, I just threw those out there. The other one, oh, something that's, I'm not sure if you've seen it or we've just been talking about it for ages that we need to see it, is Falling Down. Yes, I it went on the list of honourable mentions, even though I have never seen it, because I just need to watch that movie. You need to have a night and sit down and do that. I think. Yeah, let's do it. Let's um, do a rewatch and pod falling down. Who who asked for it? Nobody, but uh, we'll do it. <laughs> the one for them, one for us, one for us. I think they're all for us at the moment. Look, before we wrap it up, we, we've gone for a while, so we won't spend long on it, but uh, just top-line thoughts of the most recent episode of The Last of Us. Yeah, Tommy. Um, I love going out in the snow. This is an episode which has sort of had to happen in the sense it sets up what's going to happen next, and it's going to be pretty pivotal for the next two episodes and where we're going to end the series. So I think there was a lot of heavy lifting done in it. I really liked... Um, some of the performances that were done in that. Um, I love the setting of Jackson. It was Jackson. great. And Jackson doesn't actually feature in the original game. It features in the second game. But Jackson is – we've talked about where would you rather be is like uh, the Boston QZ or what was it? Um, uh, Tatooine. It's almost like I want to be in Jackson. <laughs> and, and I think Jackson's was, the place to be. Co- communist, mate. You want to be <laughs> join yeah, the communists. We're, we're in a commune. We're communists. Um, and, then the, and I want to hang out at the Tipsy Bison. Yeah, I um, thought Jackson was great. I thought Tommy, I think when we first saw Tommy, the first thing I said to my partner as I was watching it was, if they introduce Tommy and kill him in this episode, I'm going to friggin' murder this show because they've done it to us so many times. But I think uh, still 
still absolutely firing, absolutely not slowing down. Three episodes to go. Um, the time jump helped because we got so much of Ellie and Joel's kind of rapport and they kind of fed it throughout all the episodes till now and you could see where it was going and then knowing that they have spent three months together and their banter now is just like bang, bang, bang off each other really, really well. And him, their their chat in her room before he left oh. was amazing and so well acted. Um, and then him turning up to give her the choice and her not even letting him finish the sentence and saying, I want to go with you was just, yeah, amazing. Loved it. I think I, I want to talk more about it next week, um, just when we've got more time to sort of talk about it. But the the whole bit where Ellie and Joel in that sort of bedroom scene where he's like, you don't know what loss is. And she's almost yeah. like, I've lost everyone. The, the push. She pushes him and the physicality the in that scene. I love it. Um, we'll talk about more about that episode and the next episode because I think they sort of will stitch together really well. Um, and I just, yep. the setting is fantastic and it suits it where they filmed it in like Alberta, Canada, that now we're actually in the great outdoors and it's showing it. Amazing television as always. Um, and hopefully you enjoyed the draft that we just did. Do you have any final words, Tom? Any, any regrets not picking certain things in our draft? I'm ready to go into the quantum manium. Let's go. Let's fuck shit up. <laughs> You're not going to go see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later, Tom. Bye.